Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us for the weekly update on this Friday morning here at JM and the AM. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM and the AM. And good morning. Morning to you. Seems the prime minister has resolved the whole um, Department of Broadcasting issue with those who are against him in the Israeli government. And that means based on our uh, assumption from last week, that there will not be new elections in the state of Israel. Well, this is just one issue, and uh, it's still not completely clear how it's resolved. I think it's been resolved with some sort of an understanding that's really not an, under- an understanding. And um, it, it was an issue between Kachlon uh, and, the, and the Prime Minister. It seems Prime Minister made some concessions, and um, Kahlon accepted it. So there is the old IBA, Israel Broadcast Authority, the new one. They they move the news departments around. Right. But there uh, will always be other issues that that, uh, that will arise. But for now, this immediate threat is, is removed. But there's still deep divisions and, and many issues uh, which have to be uh, addressed in the future. It looks like they've sort of spun off the news department. That's what it seems like. Well, it's not clear what the, what the end outcome will be, where the new department, the new one, the old one, uh, will end up. Um, some have speculated that this was an attempt by the prime minister um, to uh, incorporate into the Israeli media um, a, um, uh, a, a, a news source or a news outlet that might be friendlier to those of his political background. I hope I'm saying this in as diplomatic a way as possible. <laughs> do, do you think... Do you think that that effort is now uh, completely quelled and, th- and that the, the, uh, those who normally dominate the Israeli media will likely continue to dominate uh, with this new arrangement? Well, I mean, the, the uh, question of who dominates it is... Uh, well... Is because is, is, there's been a lot of shifting in recent years in terms of the addition of Israel Ayom, the the different channels, uh, the addition of, of course of the internet and of the websites which are now swamping the the newspapers. Uh, each of them have their own news sites and, and and online sites. So the the actual distribution of news is has been undergoing changes as they ha- as as was true here and is true here and we certainly saw it during the election and post election so the same phenomenon is true there and by the way even even in many of the close societies this shift is taking place as people have more news that are harder to control more sources of news that are hard to harder to control and harder to limit so you have felt that personally you, you you've been in israel and you've you feel that it, it may not be balanced but it is it is swinging in a different direction than it used to slowly i would say that it's it, it, at the, the left controlled most of the major newspapers right. uh, certainly uh, had a strong influence amongst the journalists and uh, i would say that it's it's less than it was but still the the press as here, it tends to be center, center, left. Very interesting. All right, APAC convention was this week. If you have any observations, obviously we're curious about your analysis. It, it is, I, I wonder, and, and I know they're a member organization, I'm not, and I'm looking for analysis. I'm not looking for, you know, compliments or criticism. But I'm wondering if, if the goal or the operation, the way APAC, you know, operates in Washington is going to be much different because of this administration. We, we know about the past administration. We know the challenges in terms of you know keeping Israel front and center and keeping Israel's interests 
front and center. Do you think APAC and APAC-like activities are going to be very different in D.C. now because of the new administration? No, I don't think that what they do changes. The job was to, to advocate and to, I mean, obviously the substance of some of the issues may change because the administration has uh, different views. But I, I think that we still remain with the fundamental issues, the, the certainly the process in the Middle East. We saw the Arab League meeting this week, and, and Mr. Greenblatt was there, and some of the statements that were made. Uh, the, so the... The issues that we, the question of uh, of whether there will be progress on a peace process, which seems to be a high priority uh, for the new administration, the issue of arms sales, the, there are so many issues that are really relevant. And, and as you know, King Abdullah is coming, President Sisi of Egypt is coming, the President Abbas seems to be coming all within the next couple of weeks. So the Middle East and the Israeli-Palestinian issue will be uh, in the forefront. The Arab League meeting ended with a very strong call, uh, an endorsement for a regional approach, a new Arab uh, initiative, uh, and calling on the administration to take uh, to take advantage of the moment and to move ahead. So I, I think the attendance of 19,000 people was a very important political statement. The fact that the vice president came and many others uh, got uh, Nikki Haley, who got a hero's welcome there, the, new, the ambassador to the United Nations uh, from the United States. The, uh, and if you look at the array of issues, Iran remains the same issue that it was before. We have the challenges in, in many areas of the world. North Korea certainly represents it. We see the expanding footprint of, of Russia in the region, the, crescent, the, the Shiite crescent. So I think that the role for the Jewish community as a whole, not just APAC, remains as important and maybe even more important. Yeah. Now. As Congress is so divided, you know, we have to work harder to make sure to get through things and not allow Israel and and the issues of concern to us to become subject to the partisanship that's, that is so blatant now. Yeah, I put it as APAC and APAC-type activities. Um, if I would end, believe me, for me, it's hard to think back this far also, even though it's only a couple of months. If I would have asked you before January 20th, would you have conjectured that a peace deal was a high priority for this administration? In other words, for Jewish leadership, is this somewhat of a surprise, the way they're aggressively going after it? It is a surprise, and a surprise about some of the things that are being said or, or the way they're being said. The fact that he, he met, amongst others, the foreign minister of Qatar, one of the three or four foreign ministers who met Qatar, has been playing a very negative and hostile role. I hope that he gave a very strong message, which I assume uh, he did, uh, that um, I, I don't think anybody would have anticipated that this would, in the first months, when there are so many issues going on, and they are tackling very serious issues from government reform to, to the specific uh, matters, uh, health care, etc., that Middle East peace at a time when there doesn't seem to be much of a prospect really for reaching an agreement as much as there is for having a process. But uh, it, we don't know what agreements and understandings they have with the Prime Minister, how the, whether this is uh, a common approach to try to, to address this issue and see whether something can really be done. Abbas celebrated his 82nd birthday this week. Wow. Uh, he's not getting younger and the, there is no obvious successor right now to to uh, Abbas. So many people feel that they got to move while they while they still can. But we saw the gathering in Turkey of 
Palestinians, which reiterated all of the negative positions from right of return to, to the border lines of, of uh, 48. So, you know, we, we, we're, and we see the emergence in Syria of, of a new and threatening situation. We've seen the Palestinians now have these new missiles in, in Hamas, in Gaza. We see that, that them closing, by the way, Hamas closed the crossings to Gaza, and for the first time the Arab League criticized them, but more importantly the United Nations actually came out with a criticism that wasn't directed at, at, uh, at Israel. Mm. So that's something you could uh, celebrate. And by the way, you know, at the Arab League, Abbas, which to me just shows that nothing changes with him, he didn't take this advantage of the opportunity with the, it was a one-day meeting, and, and by the way, the King of Morocco did not even come, but most of the others, and certainly the foreign ministers were all there, that, that what was his agenda that the Arab League should endorse his demand for an apology from Britain for the Balfour Declaration of a hundred years ago. This was at the Arab League. You're saying that at this week's at the meetings two days ago. That um, was what. And, he, and, and his, by the way, and, and by the way, for the and and I, I don't need to lecture people on whether you know on the significance of the Balfour Declaration, yes or no. But you have said a million times to us that this is their attempt always to obliterate important historical elements that that have, especially those that have a role in the founding of the state of Israel or in proving that that Jews have a right to what we call now the state of Israel and the land of Israel. And, and therefore, for that alone, it's worth the battle when they come up with things like this about apologizing for Balfour. Absolutely, and we have it again with uh, this escort group is going to come out with a new report. That's the Economic and Social Council of Western Asia, which is 18 Arab countries. They have a headquarters that sits in Beirut. And when we talk about reform of the UN and cutting agenda, this is really where a cut should be made. They have a $70 million budget, which seems to be devoted solely to criticizing Israel on a propaganda machine. 400 people sitting there. That uh, They came up with this report that they hired Falk, a notoriously anti-Israel uh, former UN employee, and, and uh, he, he wrote a report calling Israel apartheid state that was removed. The Secretary General intervened. Others, the United States, very strongly came out against it. We worked very hard. In fact, we first revealed it because it had been sitting on a website, but nobody really took action. And once they got geared up, they, they uh, the director, the head of the agency, resigned. Then it turned out she only had two weeks left, and she was on vacation those two weeks. In the meantime, Qatar hired her, put her in charge of a non-governmental organization that will carry on that work. And now we learn that there's going to be a new report that's going to say what the cost of 50 years of Israeli occupation is. They have an annual report that does assessments, and maybe that's what it will be, but, but that will become the basis then for claims against Israel. My point being that that if, if you take a look at uh, uh, where we're headed right now with the the Arab world, talks about new opportunities. Many of the countries working with Israel in, in new and uh, different ways, and yet the, when it comes to the bottom line, putting the pressure on, we see that that it continues. Uh, by the way, you alluded to something a couple of minutes ago. Um, um, are are you do you worry? When you see failed negotiations in Washington, last weekend, of course, being prime among them, do you worry when you see failed negotiations, especially on high-profile issues, that that will, in fact, encourage Washington, the White House specifically, to, to restart or aggressively pursue a peace process, or, or, or that's already too much of a stretch? 
I think it's too much of a stretch. They they have spoken about it, and obviously appointing uh, someone to to be a special envoy who's been out in the Middle East was at the meeting itself uh, the second time in, in I guess a month that that they travel out there. So they're obviously giving it uh, a lot of attention, a lot of urgency. The visits here, they don't deal solely with this. Obviously, the visiting people, uh, especially CC, whom I will see next week, and uh, the, the King of Jordan. He has many other issues. He's got tremendous internal security issues. He has tremendous needs that both countries that uh, they hope the new administration will address. But the um, yeah, but we're seeing much more emphasis on it, and it, it isn't di- directed. In fact, I think that a lot of the energy is being drained by the divisive uh, fights that that we see. And in the meantime, others are taking advantage of it. Yeah. You know, Iran just said yesterday that Russia can use its military bases on a case-by-case basis. While Russia has already built now the, the new Air Force base under construction, a naval base in Syria, in Libya, expanding its influence, um, uh, moving ahead. And, and if you look at what's happening in Syria, where we see not only do they have those two bases, they have others. Turkey is now building uh, bases and uh, military bases in the zone that it controls. Uh, the U.S. has built uh, a military base specifically in in the Kurdish areas where it's uh, safer for them to do it. But uh, Iran already has the the two bases, one in um, the Iran Revolutionary Guard and another in the uh, Azan Mountain area near Aleppo. The British have have a base there, but most of them are seeking influence. In the case of Iran, it's seeking control. And and now, with the control that they've asserted over Lebanon, and we have more and more information about both the infrastructure that's there and the underground missile fast factories and the amount of money that they're pouring in uh, uh, to to uh, to Lebanon, and the Shiite crescent going all the way from uh, Tehran through Iraq through Syria to Lebanon to the Mediterranean, gives them something that they have have long sought. Right, and this, and, and this. And, and, yeah. And, and the build-up, I just want one yeah. other thing, so people understand the context, that this relates then to what happens in the Golan, their ability to, to put IRGC, militias, Shiite militias, and others, they're, they're changing the population, they're removing the Sunnis, more than uh, a, a very significant part of the Sunni population is now gone and is not coming back because they're not going to let them come back. So the the you know these issues are they're, they're all creating facts on the ground and we we can't be diverted by partisanship right now from uh, addressing these these really vital issues. Uh, Russia uh, is is helping Iran establish the control you just described, correct? They have a common interest right now, but one was to keep. Um, uh, Assad in power, and that seems to be Fed complete according to some of the comments that have been made that they assume that he is he is going to remain. Uh, there were some comments made by U.S. officials that they backed off of now over the last 24 hours to to um, in in support of of that position. But um, the, uh, yeah, the point <laughs> yeah the point being, and this is you know again off of what we discussed last week. The point being, the stronger Russia gets automatically the stronger Iran gets in that area if they continue this type of, of relationship. Absolutely. Iran's interest is is not just limited to, to this, and they are very cleverly. That's why I pointed out that the, the uh, expansion of their 
the military footprint of the fact that they now have access. They, they're providing uh, weapons. Hamas now got these heavy rockets, which pose a really serious threat to the communities uh, along the southern border because of their weight and the, and the, the maximum damage to these communities near the the border there's they're like uh, some of the rockets in Hezbollah's uh, arsenal the the uh, Borkan which is a short range but carries a very heavy uh, uh, payload where'd they get them from Iran oh from Iran but it, but in in the case of of Lebanon now they're manufacturing them there and uh, you know this saves them the trouble of, of going underground now they also have the supply route once this road is is completed that they will be able to provide uh, weapons through by uh, land routes and not flying them in, which can often be detected or subject to uh, taken down. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NahumSiegel.com on the NahumSiegel Network and, and uh, of course, on our beloved NSN app. Plenty coming up all through the day on our network here. Make sure to keep it here all day long. Malcolm Honline is with us, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. So what happens? Israeli intelligence tries to intercept these deliveries, especially the ones to Hamas in Gaza, and, and they and what happens? They just miss it or they or they don't act on it or they don't know about it. Like what 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 is the how effective is Israel? It, it seems in some cases they're so aggressive going after these deliveries and, and in other cases I assume it just happens without their knowledge, right? They are all of the above, and they may have other methods uh, for delivering uh, uh, the weapons. Um, the the uh, you know the Putin and Rouhani met in in Moscow this week also, where they discussed both the Caspian Sea and the legal status, et cetera, issues between them, but also about expanding this uh, the joint cooperation and with uh, freedom to move in in. Syria, with the limitations that are imposed on Israel because you have the S-300. We saw the Syrians, remember, last week fired uh, uh, missiles against them. So Israel has to make a decision each time it acts, A, that it's certain about the the movement of weapons of consequence. They don't take out the rifles and BB guns that are going there, but they've they've done dozens of raids, not often reported, where they have removed uh, the threat and taken out of warehouses, taken out, you know, convoys right. uh, I mean, of weapons. I mean, these short-range, going mi- north. Yeah, these short-range missiles, the likelihood is if, if, if utilized, they're going to end up in Israeli cities, right? I mean, we would, we would think. That's the, well, they're, that's what they're targeting. They're right. targeting Syrian targets. They, right. they do use uh, some heavy weapons against each other, and we still see, you know, the, the, and, and as ISIS's footprint is shrunk, the Iranians... Uh, fill the void, right? But I mean, and but their I, front groups, do. right? But I mean, even the ones going into Gaza. I mean, we know they're going to end up. Uh, you know, the goal would be to use them, utilize them against Israeli cities, right? And when, and Hamas is saying, don't don't force us into a war to, right. the, to the other groups there, to the Salafi groups, because they say we're not ready, and then we're going to lose our, our arsenal. When, when, Israel I'm sorry. is very concerned about the buildup that you're referring to. It's right. not small. When Sisi shows up in Washington, right? Who who's there to remind? the White House, about the, the, the urgency, and I think you'd agree with that word, of the cooperation now between Egypt and Israel. Is that something that he brings up in discussion or not? 
It, it does, and, and of course, the administration, I think, uh, is, is supportive of it. The, the, um, it wasn't always true that U.S. administrations were supportive always of the cooperation, but it is true, and it, and it has been uh, expanding constantly, um, both regarding Hamas, regarding ISIS, regarding the Sinai, uh, that the, the level of cooperation is still uh, quite remarkable. And the um, and and the and the common enemy of Iran is driving them all together. Right. This is uh, you know it's not always Avas Mordechai. It's it's sometimes the Sin of Haman that yeah. that really drives the uh, countries together. And and we're seeing that now. And and you know, the reason why it's sometimes important is to to see the the nature of of what we're dealing with in terms of Iran. What what they're doing to undermine the Bahraini government, the Saudi government, and uh, in terms of uh, Egypt, Egypt yesterday came out at the meeting with a very strong criticism of Iran, and that was important because you know they had the Saudi Egyptian tensions grew out and largely of the fact that Egypt was cooperating more with Iran and I guess made some statements and things and, and for the Saudis and all the other countries in the Gulf. Iran's threat is, is so immediate, and that caused, amongst other things, a division over the islands. Uh, and that division was very costly for the United Arab Front against uh, against Iran. So the statement by Egypt yesterday was considered very significant. Uh, tell me about the new town, the new community in the Shomron. Is it really over 25 years since Israel has uh, has authorized a quote-unquote settlement building um, in Judea or Samaria? It is. Uh, unbelievable. It has been decades since a new, a completely new community and this was is, uh, And this is in reaction to Almona. That's what the, the or replacement for or some relationship to Right, it, and, and I, I would assume that this, I mean, I'd have to, hate to be so skeptical, but I would assume that this is helpful to the prime minister when it comes to domestic policies. Otherwise, he would never have authorized it, Correct. That's a good assumption. Yeah, a good assumption mm -hmm. is right. Um, the UN condemned it. Am I correct? Every, yes, of course. They're did the White, did the White, did the White House any construction? Right. Did the White House have a, have what we would call an effective condemnation? We have not seen it. I have not seen it yet. Uh, do you expect it? Do I expect the condemnation? I expect that this will be a subject of discussion. Um, they, they, look, they've issued so many statements. Um, uh, from the administration about restraining construction. They didn't use the same language as right. before, but they have reiterated that uh, that warning or that, that message. And by the way, not unusual for American representation to be at the Arab League Summit, correct? No, they're not always represented uh, oh, so it, at the it, meeting. It, it, depends, uh, it depends on the administration in Washington. It, yes, of course. Okay, I missed that before. When you said it earlier, I thought it was it was sort of like you know, fait accompli every year or every time. There's oh, there's always American representation. This is significant that that the U.S. would be represented there uh, because it doesn't always happen. Right, oh, and and the and the level of representation can change. You can have the local ambassadors right. uh, can often participate or uh, a lower level. Uh, right now, again, the administration still is, is far from fulfilling and filling all of the jobs and all the positions. So uh, there will be other people who will be involved, but there, there is a team, and and, uh, and the fact that they were present is very important. And is there any way, you know, many have often hesitated 
to endorse, how do I put this? Many in our community, especially in this audience, have often hesitated to endorse a peace gathering that would include parties other than Israel and the PA. Let's put it that way for a moment. I know the PA can be represented by other entities as well. Uh, but you know what I'm getting at. I'm getting yeah, at. I'm the getting Prime at. Minister himself is now pushing a more of a regional approach. This, I think, uh, undercuts it. What we saw at in in um, in Amman and some of the proposals that came forward. So I think, uh, but but the Prime Minister himself has often talked about a regional approach and and the Arabs again offering peace with the Arab countries uh, if in, in a deal. So the and and that is. Is important incentive, obviously, for Israel, but it's not the sole consideration. Right, understood. All right, tell me about Israel's uh, outreach, if that's the right word, with Venezuela and Nicaragua. Um, I, are these key countries for them to open diplomatic ties? Uh, the purpose, what you know, what does Israel gain from all of this? It, it's very important, uh, especially because of Iran's growing influence and, and expansion of its activities in South America and the, the cutting off of ties. Uh, going back to the Gulf War, to the uh, Gaza War, uh, was an excuse. But even Venezuela talking about renewing relations tells you, number one, the importance of Israel, that they want trade, that they consider it significant, especially vis-a-vis the new administration in Washington. So there are many things that might go into the into the accounting, but this is something that's been worked on for, for some time. There are both Jewish, small Jewish communities, but Jewish communities nonetheless in these countries that they have an interest in. But uh, trade and other things are very important. We can't be cut off. Israel can't be cut off from a, a region of the world. And right, but we, have, we but we always view Venezuela as having you know very strong ties to real enemies of Israel. And itself is an outspoken, right. and the leaders have been outspoken. So how does uh, critics this? and and. Uh, so how, yes. does this, how does so this come about? How does you're, this lo- you're looking for rationale. You're yeah. looking for things to be <laughs> To make sense. Nothing in the world is explicable today. It just doesn't make sense to me. Because you're talking about opening diplomatic relations with a country that has been outspoken against Israel. And that really is aligned, as you described. I mean, do you know what kind of descriptions you've given us over the years when it comes to Iran and Venezuela? Yeah, well, Venezuela went from Chavez to Maduro, Maduro, and now the new vice president is an Iranian agent, somebody, I mean, so, uh, their, their man. Uh, so I, I don't think that you'll see it so soon with Venezuela that it's going to move that quickly. The other countries have been moving in, and many of them uh, stand to benefit. Israel provides assistance in agricultural and technical and trade in other areas that, that uh, uh, it is significant. It's, it's not to be dismissed. But you can't look for rationale. You look at the, the numbers that came out on the trade with Iran recently, right. showing that it went up from uh, one and a quarter billion to 11 billion in, in foreign investment. And yet Iran is number 131 of the 170 countries as the most corrupt uh, countries, meaning that you can't rely on this. The banks still are reluctant to do business. And yet people are signing contracts. Many of them never get uh, get truly filled. And, uh, you know, people people are, are, as one of the UAE ambassadors said, that we're seeing uh, Iran's um, uh, nuclear program is in slow motion, but they're moving ahead all the time uh, towards uh, towards having the capacity. They, they continue to expand their activities. And yet you don't see the kind of response that, as you looking for rationality, would expect. In fact, this week, something I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, months ago, but this week the construction is going to begin on the new railroad that's going to go from Russia through Azerbaijan to the southern part of the ports of 
of uh, of Iran. It will have a profound impact with shipping and uh, cargo movements. A lot of other things will be involved. And I don't want to go into all the details, but it's it's a, a very long railroad that will transverse this entire area. This is something that the Tsars dreamed of having, and all these things are just happening. It, it will eventually link to China, to Kazakhstan, to Pakistan uh, by rail, which has obviously implications for commerce and economic implications, but also political implications. Right. Well, I can imagine. And and you saw that General Votel, the head of the CENTCOM, the Central Command, talked about the the, the, the considering the need for disruption of of uh, Iran by military means, uh, and uh, I, I think that people should read those statements uh, carefully. Yeah, no question about it. And Iran continues to build up its own allies as well, um, not not just their own country. I mean that that's the whole basis of the weapon shipment that we spoke about earlier. Um, that and and their work now in Africa right. again met with African leaders this week who are apoplectic about it and certainly what we see as far as Asia Latin America everywhere they're all going to come around the African countries eventually right they're all going to come around well there is a big movement there's no doubt that there's a oh I'm I'm, sh- I'm just shocked that anybody's not on board yet with Israel from Africa right <laughs> that's that's my point well, it takes some time I guess so although these It'll days move quickly. These days, everybody wants everything quickly. Uh, the you posted this one, the um, uh, the airstrikes against Al Qaeda in Somalia. Uh, one wonders because remember, remember his pledge. Remember how you remember what, what what the president of the United States said during the campaign about his efforts against Al Qaeda and against those types of terrorist groups. I mean, is this significant that the U.S. has now increased and ramped up the strikes against Al Qaeda in Somalia? Are there other areas that they're ignoring that they shouldn't, they shouldn't be? Look, we can't hit them everywhere because they're operative in many countries in Africa and elsewhere. Uh, we are uh, building up our so we're building up our military, but it'll take a long time till we have the capacity. We can't. But what we have to do is to get the local forces to be more active, to get the African the um, uh, organization, African community, and others to take more responsibility. And the United States has to give it the leadership. But if they are convinced that the U.S. will be there, if the U.S. assists and the U.S. can provide technology, we can provide many other things, but we can't be in every one of these places. And the local governments have to take more steps to root them out, to really be active. Uh, you know, sometimes they believe if it's in an isolated in the north of the country, south of the country. No, you, you, when it comes to these groups and these terrorist activities, they really have to be dealt with and addressed in strong ways. And the the um, the bombing, the increased act, uh, military activity there is obviously significant. We want to see uh, these groups rooted out, Boko Haram and others. They're cancers. They keep metastasizing in bigger and bigger areas. Yeah, and the president made a commitment to uh, to do what he can to obliterate them. Uh, I know we we can't say enough about Nikki Haley. I know, but on this BDS thing, <laughs> when she gets up and says boycott North Korea, sanction Iran, divest from Syria, not Israel. I don't know. I got to praise her and her speechwriter for that one because it's so effective. I mean, whoever <laughs> well, came, whoever I, came I up with that. Last night she's, and she's uh, as committed in private discussion and as enthusiastic about it. And you know that she, as a governor, passed signed the first anti-BDS legislation. Right. right. And so she's, she's been uh, very outspoken. Um, uh, 
and considering you know the short time that she's been there, she's made a, a tremendous mark. And and she's a very you know she talked about a new sheriff in town right. at the United Nations and been very adamant pursuing. There's so much corruption that has to be rooted out, There's, especially vis-a-vis Israel and the every agency that works against the Israel's interests. And and you, the more we learn about all these propaganda machines that are hidden within the bureaucracy. That uh, that that's where we ought to be cutting the funding. But then, and I, I hate to end on this note, so I'll try not to. But then, of course, we read articles about Jewish pro BDS conferences that are going on, and they're hosting Palestinian terrorists. And you just and you spoke earlier in this conversation about divisiveness and and unity and the danger of the first and the importance of the latter. And and imagine that we have somebody in the United Nations who's standing up like that, but people within our own community who feel the need to have their own conference beginning today. Uh, right. That yeah. they're, they're, look, we're living in, in such a time of, of uncertainties and shifts and um, um, it, it questions. And, and the question is, and the real issue is how we apply the resources we have, how we try to have some unity within as well as unity without and 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 hold to account people whose activities go against the interests both of the United States of Israel of our community. Yep. Hopefully we'll be successful at that. A good way to unify is to be in Israel together for Yom Yerushalayim. And I remind everybody Absolutely. as I know you do that on May the 24th the big celebration will be underway and will uh, fill the streets of Jerusalem as uh, Yom Yerushalayim number 50, the 50th anniversary of the reunification of Jerusalem takes place. We encourage our listeners to go to Mizrahi.org slash YY50, Mizrahi.org slash YY50, and to act accordingly. And Malcolm, you know what I say, if the entire group or organization can't go, at least send a representation. You know the importance of that. Everybody should be in Jerusalem. If you really care, we're going to see uh, more efforts, another resolution like uh, the one last year that took away all of the Jewish and Christian names from the holy sites. We're trying to turn it around this time, but the, but the, the UNESCO is talking about another resolution. So the, this is a determined effort on the part of those who want to take away Jerusalem and, and deny it the Jewish connection and connection to the state of Israel, to the Jewish people. This is a chance to, to tell the world that we care, and by filling it as the world focus will be on Jerusalem that week, it, it will be a very important statement, and there will be a lot of exciting activities, I think, for people as well. So it's a unique opportunity, historic moment to, to be in Jerusalem. All right, your, uh, your Shabbos Hagadol Drosha next week. Thanks so much for joining us. <laughs> and then Pesach in San Diego, so people can get ready, uh, start preparing. Well, one second. Can someone still make a reservation to join you in San Diego? I'm sure they can at the Pardes uh, program in San Diego. Boy, oh boy. <laughs> I may have to reconsider my Passover plans. <laughs> okay, well, just, the suitcase is ready. I, right? know you'd be <laughs> more, I know you'd be more than happy to have me. I know, I know, I know. Thank you, Malcolm. Even for you this one. <laughs> have a wonderful Shabbos. <laughs> Thank you. There he is, Malcolm Holmline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organization. Of course he'd be more than happy to have me. Come on. Let me convince myself.